When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master. Today's topic is Beholders! So, obviously that was overly enthusiastic, but Beholders are my favorite monster. If you ever join us on Patreon, you will see that my avatar picture is the image of a beholder superimposed over my own head. I love beholders. I think they're really cool. And if I, if just I, Remy, had a wish, I would put serious consideration into just wishing to be a beholder in a world where that won't instantly get me killed for being an abomination. But I fucking love them. They're, (sighs) all right, that, uh, okay, calm down from fanboying. I'm down from fanboying. I'm surprised. I'm I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, okay. I think it's known at this point that I am a person of strong opinions for both pro and con to the things that I care about. Even even this is a bit much for you. Again, favorite creature, period. Anyway, so a beholder is an aberration meaning that they are a creature that is not native to the world. They are other from elsewhere. Exactly what that means is questionable. There is no explicit definition of where a beholder comes from. Uh, In the Volo's Guide to Monsters, there is an entire section on beholders, and it is very interesting reading. But even there, where they have an entire chapter, I want to say, on beholders, they just say it is unknown where they come from. But they're here and they're fucking terrifying. So you may or may not know what a beholder is from the word. However, if you have ever just seen the cover of the monster manual for fifth edition, you will have seen one. That creature, that round thing with the giant eye and a lot of eye stalks coming off of it is a beholder. So their whole image was just based on the pun, love is in the eye of the beholder. So when D&D made a creature called a beholder, they gave it all the eyes. And that's such a stupid pun that I love it. Or sorry, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. That's the right quote. And so they made a horrific abomination with all of the eyes. Ah, yay puns. All right. Anyway. So there are a number of things that make a beholder such an interesting creature to me, especially. So let's just dive right into it. They are a creature that is, by definition, insane by human standards. They have a level of paranoia that exceeds anything that most humans are possibly capable of. They're... uh, uh, what is it? The Volo's Guide description of them specifically mentions that they are so paranoid that they don't just think about the possibility of 
what could happen that is dangerous to them. They consider all possibilities, period. And they list a number of ridiculous examples to kind of illustrate the extent of a beholder's paranoia. And they say something along the lines of, what will happen if their lair is invaded by angels? What happens if a party teleports in riding on dinosaurs? And they, in the book, just list ridiculous scenarios and then specifically mention that a beholder is so paranoid that it has a contingency in case of that. And it is capable of doing it because the average beholder has an intelligence stat of 17. So consider that in the monster manual, the stats and powers that are given for any creature are an average example of the species. Meaning that if you wanted to have, say, an exceptional beholder in your world, that a 17 would be considered an average. So a human average intelligence is 10. A beholder average intelligence, 17. Imagine a smart one. Yes, I have. So you could have a, you know, above average beholder have a 22 relatively easily and potentially even higher up than that if you really want to. And, and I want to. <laughs> anyway, uh, harder than I thought it would be to just restrict myself from gushing. I should not do that more than I already have. <clears throat> so to kind of give an example about, or not an example, but a comparison to understand a beholder's paranoia, this probably won't help you, Nathan, because you see nothing and listen to nothing. But most people will understand this reference. All beholders are Batman with magic. So the famous, please at least tell me you know who Batman is. Yes, Nathan? I do know Batman. I do know what you're talking about. Shock spray on a helicopter. <laughs> yes, yes. How Batman is infamous for having the bat shark repellent, just in case. That is the equivalent of a beholder's paranoia. So if you are trying to play a beholder in a game, think of them as an even crazier Batman with magic because beholders have a lot of magical abilities at their disposal. So any time that you're trying to just think, okay, so Batman has a plan to take on so-and-so or so-and-so, or if this should happen, he's got a plan, or he has these tools available, that's a beholder. Anyway, I don't know why, but I just got the mental image of Batman polymorphed into a beholder, and that was just very funny to me. So besides the sheer intellect that a beholder has and the sheer paranoia that lead to its incredible detailed planning the sheer power that it has at its disposal truly makes it a threat so most of the time dms use a beholder wrong typically speaking or not typically but more often than i would prefer i see a beholder just thrown at a party like in an arena or something like that, where it's just a big open space where it just gets beaten to death by a party. But where a beholder's real strength lies is in its preparations and therefore its lair. A beholder is a creature that creates a lair that is perfectly suited to it and a fucking nightmare to anyone who tries to invade it. So because of one of the abilities of a beholder is the fact that it can fly. And a fun fact that a lot of people just don't know, even those who do like beholders, is the fact that a beholder's flight is actually non-magical. Uh, there is not 
any reference to it in 5th edition. However, there's not anything that contradicts it either. There actually was a biology of beholders in a, I want to say 3.5 book, but I can't remember which off the top of my head. But there was the anatomy of a beholder, which showed that it has like a gas sack that is full of a lighter than air gas, which gives it its flotation and hover ability. So a beholder flies and hovers without magic, which means that even if you should throw something like an anti-magic field at a beholder, it would still be able to fly. So is there any way for one to cause a beholder to fall? I mean, there is magic that specifically pulls down flying creatures. So any uh, magic item or spell that has that capability would do so. But just anything. But normally, if you say cast an anti-magic field on someone who has the fly spell or a broom of flying, then they would just immediately crash. But a beholder's flight being non-magical is one of the very, very few such abilities that would not be harmed by that. So I will mention on that note, though, that beholders do have one flaw in that they are not fast. They have this non-magical fly speed, but they only have a speed of 20 feet with their movement. So they are not able to move quickly at all. They have a zero ground speed. They do not have any legs to walk on. Actually, uh, just in case you don't look at the monster manual picture, I probably should describe what a beholder looks like in a little bit more detail. So it is a large sphere that can be anywhere between four to six feet wide, generally speaking. It has a big central eye that is maybe basketball sized, I would say, although exactly how large is somewhat hard to determine. It also has a large mouth full of very sharp teeth. And around its head, it has 10 tentacled eye stalks that each have their own eye at the end. So you have the one massive central eye and 10 eye stalks that are constantly moving about. And another just fun fact about beholder biology, when they sleep, they will close their central eye, but their eye stalks are still constantly moving around and still seeing. So even a sleeping beholder is still aware of its surroundings. You can not sneak up on a beholder. Well, easily, at least, I should say. If you somehow have an entire party with invisibility, then maybe. But that is made much more difficult by the first ability of the beholder I'll get into. Each of the eyes that the beholder has, so all 10 eye stalks and the giant central eye, have a magical ability of some kind. And the average standard beholder, their central eye emits an anti-magic cone. So I'm just going to go ahead and read this real quick. The beholder central eye creates an area of anti-magic, as in the anti-magic field spell, in a 150-foot cone. At the start of each of its turns, the beholder decides which way the cone faces and whether the cone is active. The area works against the beholder's own eye rays. So each of the 10 eyes that it has is able to emit its own magical effect that is called an eye ray. So the anti-magic cone of the central eye does stop its own magical abilities. However, considering the fact that the anti-magic field spell is an eighth level spell 
that normally requires concentration and only has a 10-foot radius. But the Beholders is an always-on automatic ability, unless it chooses not to, in a 150-foot cone that is massive and massively powerful. So if you have the Beholder in the right position waiting, and you see, well, you don't see, because if you have a party with invisibility, say, trying to sneak up on the Beholder, anti-magic, they all become visible. Or if they have a lot of magic items to boost their defenses or magic weapons, anti-magic, they are as weak as they would be with no magic on them. No items, spells, buffs, potions that are active. It does not matter. Just as a passive ability, the Beholder has anti-magic to turn it all off as long as they're in that area. Holy shit, that's pretty impressive. Because, like, in every single party, like, even on Rift, where everyone, the reason why people hit so hard is because they all have magical weapons and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that would just be completely negated. Not to mention, if they use their impressive intellect to direct that, so even if the party arrives and they're all in anti-magic field, then on their turn, let's say... The wizard goes one way, the cleric goes the other, and the fighter tries to hold its attention by charging forward. Okay, in that scenario, then the beholder could recognize, ah, that person has a holy symbol of whoever, so it can just turn to focus on the healer first and use the strategies of combat that most monsters are just not clever enough to know about or use. A beholder fully allows a DM to use their full knowledge of party capabilities and tactics and strategy to fuck them hard. Then it seems rather clear that one must be rather experienced in order to run a Beholder convincingly. That's debatable, because there is a lot written about Beholders. So even if you were to just flip through the information in Volo's guide, or even just read the description of a beholder just from the monster manual. It does have a description of what a beholder's lair looks like. And so even if you are not as familiar with the various powers and how to use them together, you can still have it be a reasonable threat, even if you don't know the full abilities of a beholder. And that could be easily explained away in world of, okay, we talked about how there are above average intelligence beholders potentially, and you could just say, okay, that was a beholder that was on the lower end of the spectrum of intelligence. So only a 14 intelligence. So only smarter than, you know, three fourths of humanity. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, just because of the fact that a standard beholder has a specific plan doesn't necessarily mean that the party allows it to happen that way. Because as I've said before, and all DMs know, your players will fuck up any plans you make, guaranteed. So that fact does still apply even to a creature as smart as a beholder. Many things as a beholder can plan for, players will pull some stuff out of their ass that you just are not prepared for. And that kind of -of out-of-the-box thinking is beholder's greatest weakness, in all honesty. If it hasn't prepared for something adequately then it's in trouble. Anyway, uh, moving on to the actual, uh, more of the abilities of the Beholder. So the anti-magic is the most probably important ability that a Beholder has, but 
that is still only one of many, many abilities that it has. Uh, one uh, detail worth mentioning that's on the passive end of things. Uh, a beholder does have a dark vision of 120 feet, so much farther than the average of 60 feet. So a drow would equal that with their 120 feet. But generally speaking, if they take advantage of that range that they potentially have to see through, if they just keep their layer dark, then they can see 120 feet. But most people could only see up to 60 if they have dark vision at all. And even if they have a lantern or a torch or such things, the range of that does not go that far. So you can just have a beholder floating in the shadows above the party and all of its abilities have at least 120 foot range, which would mean you could just have the beholder out of range of the fighter, out of range of some of the typical attack spells. Not to mention the fact that even if they could reach, they don't necessarily know where the beholder is because it could always just move after attacking and just continually move. So playing a beholder, again, Batman analogy, just like in any of the Arkham video games, you have this creature just hiding in the shadows and just trying to pick off its enemies one by one. Because even though a beholder is a challenge rating 13 creature, which is quite powerful, it still has vulnerability in that it has nothing to heal itself. So if a normal party of even, say, 10th level surrounds a beholder or manages to trap a beholder somehow, they will kill it. It like it is not outside of a party of that level's power if they face a beholder in direct confrontation to easily kill it, even though it does have many other useful abilities that I'll get into shortly. A beholder should not take on a party head on. They should be attacking from the shadows, pick off the healer, pick off the wizard, and to prioritize in the party whatever is the prioritization of, okay, this is the most dangerous to me, this is the most useful to them, whichever is necessary, a beholder is smart enough to use that knowledge. So moving on to more of the actual powers of the beholder. So talked about the anti-magic cone, very, very good power. Then it has the eye rays. So all of those 10 eye stalks that a beholder has, each has its own magical ability. And that, uh, oh, what was it? Biology of Beholders that I was talking about a little bit earlier mentions the fact that a beholder's eyes are some of the most efficient biological systems at taking in, storing, and converting magic into the shape of spells. So instead of needing somatic components to cast these abilities as spells, they are a spell-like ability, which would mean that because it is not actually a spell, that dispel magic would not work on an effect caused by a beholder. And it means that a beholder, unlike most other magic-using creatures, does not have spell slots and does not need them. It is able to cast its 10 abilities plus its anti-magic cone and does not duplete any resource to do so. This, I, I can see this being used in a scenario where imagine you're fighting a beholder and you, you basically have your spellcasters attack it and manage to get some damage off it and then manage just to get away. Now your spellcasters have lost their spell slots and that guy, well, he can just come back 
and fuck you up. Yes. So let's actually go off on a tangent about that before I do talk about the iRays more then, because that actually brings up a very important point about the beholder's layer. So I mentioned that beholders have a layer, but I didn't really talk about what it looks like yet. So let's actually do that first, because it helps understand the strategy even more. So instead of just being a typical room that has, you know, stairs going up and down, and there might be, you know, a couple of, you know, caverns in a cave for other creatures, a beholder does have the ability to kind of do its own mining. And I'll get into how of that a little later, but for now, just accept that that is true. So a beholder has the power to shape its lair however it wants to. So a smart beholder, which should be most of them, will build their lair themselves. So they will build their lair based on their own powers and abilities. So instead of making stairs to go up or down, they will just have a like 20 foot tunnel that goes straight up and down between levels because it can fly. Why would it care if other creatures can't? It only cares about itself. Actually, a tangent within a tangent. One of the fun lore parts of a beholder also is that alongside their massive paranoia is an even larger ego. A beholder has the complete belief that it is the greatest creature in existence and that everything else is inferior. And I mean, coming from me, who is admittedly a Beholder fanboy, they, they have a point. They're, they're really good with all of their powers. And to a Beholder, the only creature that is a threat to them is another Beholder. And even then, they believe themselves superior to any other Beholder. But that is the only other creature that they will at least acknowledge as a threat. Anything else is below them. But anyway, so back to the lair then. So building the lair, they carve out whatever they need to. They will make the tunnel so that they can move up and down and other things can't. Also, because of the fact that they have their eye stalks, which are able to fire off their eye rays, it would very much be possible to just have a beholder that just makes a tiny hole in the ceiling so they can just spy from up above, poke one eye stalk through a two inch hole or whatever size the eye is. It's variable. We can get into that more later. And they could just see, ah, yes, I can watch the party with my eye stalk just through the holes. And even if the party tries to attack it, I mean, it, it's behind a stone wall, potentially. It's just in cover completely. And not to mention that because it is looking with an eye stalk, they could choose which eye stalk is looking and potentially just blast the party for some amount of damage or one of it, the other effects that they're able to trigger. So, can, yes? Can you imagine um, can, can you imagine a party just walking through a cave and what they see poking from the top is like the road perception <laughs> is like, you see an eye protruding out the wall and staring I mean, at or you. Or you could just see an eye on the other side just through like a peephole. It doesn't have to stick it through yeah. necessarily. They just you see an eye on the other side of the stone wall. It, it, it'd be so like um, odd until they realize it's just like there's just this eye stall, mm -hmm. and it, since you can't see the whole thing, you can just play it off like oh, it's maybe, maybe it's like a weird, weird roper or something. Mm -hmm. and it's just maybe like, oh geez, you don't know what what's coming or for again, you, mate. With that 120 foot dark vision, if they just make a hundred foot tall ceiling, and then the party, unless they have a drow, 
can't even see that far in the dark. I've got a, qu- I've got a question. Mm-hmm. Does disintegrate produce? Do, do these eye rays produce light? Dust. I'll get more into that. You know. Yeah. Hmm? Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely be talking about the actual powers very shortly. And oh, that's my favorite. <laughs> I have a lot of favorite things. I know I have my biases, pro and con. Moving on. So yes, in the layer, they will design it completely to their own advantage. However, there are some beholders that do choose to keep minions around or to keep people under their control. So when that happens, they may have a section of their lair that is, you know, person friendly. So it will have walkways and ramps and stairs and that kind of stuff. But they might keep their wing completely protected. But a beholder is generally willing to do whatever their planning says gives them the best chance at being the best. Yes, you have something to say? You've got the hand on. Oh, oops. Uh, that was an accident I pressed earlier. Okie dokie then. So when you do have a beholder that does have minions, there are a number of actual options specifically listed in the Volo's Guide to Monsters. So I mentioned that a few times already, that there's a whole section on beholders in there. I do highly, highly recommend just reading through it just because it's cool. And it just talks about like, oh, that's a neat idea. That gives me an idea or two. And it just talks about different types of beholders, different styles of beholders, different uh, charts that you can roll on for what the what it looks like. So you can like, how big is it? What color is it? You know, does it have weird pupils? Like what color are its eyes? Uh, What is its skin like? There's all kinds of charts to customize what a beholder looks like. You know, does it have normal teeth or does it have like the, you know, triangular pointed, like kind of stereotypical shark teeth? It has tips on how to role play a beholder. There is a whole lot in there. And even uh, one of those charts is the fact that you can have uh, many, many different creatures as the various minions that a beholder may own or be in control of, depending on, you know, exactly how you want to go about it. Uh, There actually is also even a map of an example of a beholder layer to kind of have an idea of what this will look like in terms of, oh, okay, so here is, you know, the living quarters for the minions. Here's where the beholder is. Here's where it keeps its stuff. And here's how it thinks of the people who work under it. So most beholders, because they think that other creatures are beneath them, don't necessarily bother with having anything that isn't directly useful to them. But there are some beholders that, and the phrasing is kind of funny, suppress their xenophobia enough to deal with other creatures. And there is one famous named beholder that I know that even you, Nathan, have had have heard the name of Xanathar of Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Yep. Also, um, don't isn't there something about beholders and pets? Yes. Basically, a beholder thinks of people in different ways so they will think of people as either like a tool or a minion or a pet so <laughs> yeah they're they're not nice to their enemies and they're really not super nice to their allies either i mean even calling them an ally is really a bit of a stretch i mean pet is a word that is used in the description and is accurate like even a smart human would generally be considered a pet to a beholder and for good reason because it can just destroy them from existence very very easily oh isn't he cute he's trying to be smart 
Oh, actually, that's one thing I should mention. Uh, Beholder actually does have knowledge of the languages, deep speech and undercommon. Uh, Beholder is typically found in the Underdark, which explains those languages, but they can be anywhere that you choose to put them in your world. Even if they originate in the Underdark in your world, they, they can fly. So they could just end up in other places or if they are summoned or come into existence elsewhere. Uh, anyway, uh, I do want to finish talking about the layer before I find myself in another half dozen tangents. Uh, because of the fact that the beholder thinks of itself first and then maybe thinks about any minions that it has, it is somewhat legendary just for building insane amounts of traps that it could easily fly over or just avoid in various other ways but will cause terrible, terrible things to any people that would trigger them. So some of the examples that actually end up getting used in the Volo's Guide is uh, using typical pit traps because it can fly, other people can't. Uh, <laughs> one that I actually quite like is they describe a door trap where the beholder will set up a wall that doesn't fully reach the ceiling. And then there's just a door in it. The beholder can just fly over the wall. The party would have to go through the door, but the door is rigged with a trap that just swings a giant spike into whoever opens the door. And for some reason, that's just funny to me. You're evil. This is known. Uh, another one that's quite fun is that uh, there's a description of using oil just on the entirety of the floor of the lair. And then any fire, whether from the beholder or from a torch or something that the party casts, just ignite the entirety of the floor of this place. So beholder's flying. It doesn't care if the floor is on fire. The party, on the other hand, will certainly care that the floor is on fire. So again, there's a lot of relatively simple traps that a beholder, just with its ability to fly, can completely avoid. But most players, even at medium levels, tend to still be relatively groundbound. And even if they do have a flying carpet or, you know, the ability to cast the fly spell on everyone in the party, well, anti-magic cone. And since burning oil is not magic, that keeps burning. So party cannot fly. Beholder can fly. Party burns. <sighs> ah, there's just such vicious, vicious bastards that, ah, so much fun. <laughs> I think you, you would make a good beholder, Remy. Thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, maybe that is why I have so much respect for them. Just my brain is the kind of schemey type. So it, yeah, I, 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 that, that checks out. Anyway, back to things. So talking, so yeah, so I think you've got a decent idea on how the layer of beholder can work. And there is definitely more information out there to read on the layer. So back to the beholder itself. So it is a creature that has a rather thick hide. So even when it's not wearing armor, it has a natural AC of 18. In addition to that, it the average beholder has 180 hit points. So the keeping in mind that this actually yet another tangent, because that's what we do. All of the monsters in the monster manual and just everywhere in D&D is an average example of the type of creature. All DMs are free to and encouraged to tweak them a little bit, make it so that something might have, you know, more armor and less hit points or vice versa. Or maybe you've got a creature that is a little bit faster than the norm. Like 
tweak your monsters more to make them a little bit more unique. Also, it helps stop players that are super familiar with the monster manual, like someone like me, for example, playing in Riftwake, to not necessarily know what's coming if a monster has a different stat or ability than the norm. But do that more. It's good. Anyway, Beholder. Uh, so hit points, AC, uh, flight speed of 20 feet. Uh, also, unlike player characters who get two saving throw proficiencies, Beholders have three. Intelligence, Wisdom, and Charisma, all. So a Beholder, besides having that very high intelligence, does also have a high constitution, a pretty good wisdom, and a pretty good charisma. Like, a Beholder has no stat below 10. Again, for the average Beholder listed in the Monster Manual. So they have one skill, which is Perception, that it rolls with a plus 12. So considering all the eyes, that checks out. Jeez, that actually would mean it's passive perception as a 22. Ah, good on them. Anyway, so now let's move on to more of the actual abilities that a Beholder has. So the Anti-Magicone is the Central Eye ability. So it does also have a Bite ability. However, its main offense is its Eye Rays. So it has the 10 Eye Stalks that each are able to use one magical effect. And they are powerful. So I'm just going to list through the 10 and talk about the most important ones. Charm Ray, Paralyzing Ray, Fear Ray, Slowing Ray, Enervation Ray, Telekinetic Ray, Sleep Ray, Petrification Ray, Disintegration Ray, and Death Ray. So some of those words don't necessarily tell you what they do, but some of them are just what it says on the tin. So charm, you charm. Paralyze, you paralyze. Fear, uh, they get uh, frightened. Slow, slow is actually like the slow spell, but that is actually an underrated ability, so I'm going to go through that one quick. So what slow does, if they fail a dex save, their speed is halved for a minute. Uh, Also, uh, one thing is that all beholder abilities just have the effect that they do. A beholder does not need concentration on any of its abilities. So even if a bad effect happens to a character, trying to break a beholder's concentration is irrelevant because it doesn't need to concentrate to do these things. Anyway, slow. Uh, Speed have for a minute. Also, the creature can't take reactions and it can take either an action or bonus action on its turn, not both. The creature can repeat the saving throw at the end of each turn, ending the effect on the success. So the fact that it is able to cast that ability to make a creature lose on either its action or bonus action and reduced movement speed is really, really underrated. So considering that the Beholder only has that 20-foot speed, slowing any fast members of the party from being able to reach it in that normal time frame, not to mention the action economy of no reaction, and either action or bonus action is real good. So the Enervation Ray is actually just a damage one. That is a con saving throw or take 8d8 necrotic damage on a failed save or half as much on a successful one. But with that power in particular, even if they make the saving throw, they would still take half of 8d8 necrotic damage. The Telekinetic Ray. This is a fun one, actually. So it is able to just lift 
an object that weighs up to 300 pounds that isn't being worn or carried and move it up to 30 feet. Uh, it also does specifically mention that the beholder can exert fine control on objects using this, such as manipulating a simple tool or opening a door or a container. So the fact that a beholder can potentially use tools or just use telekinesis to open a door is kind of entertaining. But it does also have an offensive use, which is that the telekinetic ray can target a creature using a strength uh, with a strength saving throw or move the creature up to 30 feet and restrain a creature while it is being held. So one very dangerous thing that the beholder could do is just use the telekinetic ray and just pick someone up 30 feet and then hold them in place so they can't move, which would mean that because they're restrained, they would have disadvantage on a dexterity saving throw, which means that it could just use one of its other I-beam attacks that is on that held creature and then they would have disadvantage on the save. Not to mention that if they do eventually get out of the telekinetic ray, then they just fall 30 feet, which would be uh, 3d6 bludgeoning damage for that distance, just automatically for the fall. That is very good ability. Sleep ray does what it says on the tin. Petrification ray is another very cool one. A creature makes a dexterity saving throw. So again, dexterity save. So could be used on someone held in telekinetic ray. And if they fail the save, the creature begins turning to stone and is also restrained. It repeats the save at the end of its next turn. So if they fail that second saving throw, they are petrified until freed by the greater restoration spell or other magic. So they would need a fifth level healing spell or be turned into stone permanently with two failed saving throws. And uh, backtracking a little bit just to the Beholder layer, one thing that is mentioned in terms of the decorations is the petrified bodies of its former foes. So you just have all of these statues in this random cave that the players don't know are actually just petrified, you know, villagers or other adventurers that have just been turned to stone by the Beholder. And even worse, or better if you're an evil asshole like me, there is also another description of a trap where instead of having like a large rock that can fall on the party to hurt them, they can instead have the beholder put a bunch of statues, quote unquote, as the object that falls on the party. So you could have the party trigger a trap that just drops these statues and then later on have the party realize, oh shit, those statues shattered when they fell. We caused those people to die. Next up, the disintegration ray. So I mentioned also in the layer that the beholder has a power that allows it to do mining of its own. This is it. The disintegration ray is much like the disintegrate spell, but tweaked a very small amount. It is a little bit weaker than the actual spell version, but again, no spell slots. So normally, you know, Disintegrate is a 6th level spell, so a character can cast it once a Beholder and cast all the Disintegration Rays. And that is just a deck save or 10d8 force damage. However, it has a, another effect that is part of Disintegrate that makes it so horrifically dangerous, which is, if this damage reduces a creature to 0 hit points, its body becomes a pile of 
fine gray dust. <sighs> well, shit. So that would mean no death saving throws at all. If you go down to zero hit points, you die. And not just die. Without a body, you can't revivify. You can't raise dead. You can't even resurrection. You would need a true resurrection spell, a ninth level spell, to have any hope of bringing someone killed by that back. And it can do this every turn. And even besides that horrific amount of damage done to a creature, it has another effect just as part of the disintegrate spell, which is that you can also just target objects with it. So if you target a large or smaller non-magical object or creation of magical force, it is disintegrated without a saving throw. If it is a huge or larger object or creation of magical force, it disintegrates a 10-foot cube of it. That side of the disintegrate spell is highly underrated and horrifically dangerous just for the normal spell and even more so in the hands of a beholder because of the fact that if you have something like a wall of force that had, well, actually, I don't remember that one in particular, but there are a number of spells that say that they are immune to dispel magic, but instantly destroyed by disintegrate. So this is able to get around a lot of the most powerful protection magic in the game. And in addition to that, the fact that without a saving throw, you can destroy a 10-foot cube of matter every turn. So that is exactly what the beholder uses to do its mining, to create its layer. So every six seconds, it can disintegrate a 10-foot cube of matter. So every six seconds, it can make that much. So that would mean that every minute, it could make a 10-foot by 10-foot by 100-foot tunnel. And just a little tangent also on the disintegration ray. It does mention on the sidebar, uh, in some of the lore rather, that it also has fine control over the disintegration ray. It can fire and destroy a 10-foot cube, but it could also destroy as small an amount as it wants to. And it even specifically lists in Volo's guide that it can be used to make it just big enough for the beholder itself to fit through so that larger creatures can't chase after it. And it, or it could use it to destroy a limb, is specifically mentioned, oddly enough. Or it could use it to create horrible burn-like scarring. It is a horrific ability, and I love it. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on to the last one, the Death Ray. Dexterity saving throw, or it takes 10d10 necrotic damage. And if this ray reduces the target to zero hit points, they die. Again. No death saving throws. It does not destroy the body the way that disintegrate does, but it is a little bit more max damage even. So 10d8 for disintegrate, 10d10 for death ray. And if it gets to zero hit points, they die. So with all of that being said, what makes it even more horribly effective, every single turn, the beholder does not fire one of these. It fires three. So every turn, three of these effects happen to whatever is arrayed against it. However, there is one silver lining, question mark, which is the fact that a beholder cannot use the same one 
multiple times on a turn. So it can't just fire three disintegrates, but it could potentially fire an enervation ray and a disintegration ray and a death ray. So one part also, in addition to that, that may make a beholder potentially less dangerous is the fact that the version written in the monster manual, at least, has a rather important phrasing in the eye rays general ability, which is this. It shoots three of the following magical eye rays at random re-roll duplicates, choosing one to three targets it can see within 120 feet of it. So the quote unquote standard beholder is to shoot the eye rays at random by just rolling a d10. However, in the Volo's Guide version, it does mention that that is an abstraction that is done to make it easier for a DM to run the beholder, as well as to make it less dangerous to the party. So when they wrote the monster manual, they purposefully nerfed the beholder because it was too dangerous if the DM could choose the powers. However, I, I personally, with my love of beholders, do not use the random one. I, I like dangerous beholders. I want them to be dangerous. So if you are ever in a game that I am DMing, be afraid of beholders. Be very afraid. Now, there is uh, one more thing that is worth mentioning. Well, actually, there's a lot more. I, I can talk a lot about beholders, and I'm going to keep doing so because I don't care about the time of things. Beholders are underappreciated, and damn it, I will keep talking. <laughs> anyway, so a beholder is a creature that has legendary actions, and I don't think that those have actually come up on R&R before, so I'm going to just give a quick explanation of that. So certain powerful creatures, because of the fact that the normal action economy would just be against them because of the fact that they generally only get, you know, a multi-attack perhaps, but not a number of actions equal to the party. So they, these powerful creatures have what is called legendary actions. And what these are is usually three additional actions that only do very specific things and can only be taken one at a time and only at the end of another creature's turn. So this allows a legendary creature to have more attacks per round to help balance out the action economy to let them be the threat that they are supposed to be to a party. So a beholder's legendary action is Iray. The beholder uses one Iray. Okay, easy enough. So that would mean then that in a round where there are at least three enemies against the beholder, because you can only take one per turn, that a beholder can potentially fire six I-beams per turn, or per round rather, excuse me. And wait, there's more. So I've talked a lot about a beholder's lair. So because of the fact that a beholder is so very closely bonded to its lair, they gain an additional set of abilities called lair actions. And what that means is that when fighting inside its lair, a beholder can invoke the ambient magic to take lair actions. On initiative count 20, losing initiative ties, the beholder can take one lair action to cause one of the following effects. A 50-foot square area of ground within 120 feet of the beholder becomes slimy. That area is difficult terrain until initiative count 20 on the next round. Walls within 120 feet of the beholder sprout grasping appendages until initiative count 20 on the round after next. 
each creature of the beholder's choice that starts its turn within 10 feet of such a wall must succeed on a DC 15 deck save or be grappled. Escaping requires a DC 15 athletics or acrobatics check. An eye opens on a solid surface within 60 feet of the beholder. One random eye ray of the beholder shoots from that eye at a target of the beholder's choice that it can see. The eye then closes and disappears. The beholder can't repeat an effect until they've all been used and it can't use the same effect two rounds in a row. So again, imagine before the party runs into a beholder, they're slowly walking into this lair, and without any exposure on the part of the beholder itself, it could just use that third layer action to just have an eye open on the floor and just blast whoever's in front. And the party has no idea what the fuck is going on. The amount, the, just the horror movie potential of a beholder is fantastic and all of that all of those powers all of those abilities all of those skills is just the standard beholder i ended up talking way more about that beholder than i was honestly expecting to so i will just fly through the next section on other types of beholder so all of that was just the standard beholder there is also a arguably stronger version called a death tyrant which is for all intents and purposes a beholder lich so all of that power and immortality but as a trade-off it loses the anti-magic eye because it doesn't have a central eye anymore because it's a skeleton it's a lich however it gains a new power for the death tyrant negative energy cone uh, their central eye emits an invisible, magical, 150-foot cone of negative energy. At the start of each of its turns, it decides which way the cone faces and whether the cone is active. Any creature in that area can't regain hit points. Any humanoid that dies there becomes a zombie under the tyrant's command. The dead humanoid retains its place in the initiative order and animates at the start of its next turn provided that its body hasn't been completely destroyed. Any creature that the death tyrant type of beholder kills will become a zombie permanently under its command. So if you have a death tyrant in its lair, you can have it filled with undead. And it is just cool. Lich, cool. Beholder, cool. Death tyrant. <laughs> I could talk more about them, but I've already probably gone too far uh there are a lot of other types of beholders as well uh even a particularly small one that is just called a gazer that is only a one half cr creature that actually has a sidebar that mentions that if the dm allows it can be used as a familiar to magic users who cast the find familiar spell so having a wizard with a tiny pet beholder, I want. I'd love to have a pet tiny beholder. They're adorable. They're not adorable, but I like them. <sighs> all right. So I also mentioned that all of that was the standard beholder, implying that there are variations. And there are. Again, going back to that Volo's Guide, there is an entire section on using a beholder with variant abilities. And the lore of it is also kind of cool. So beholders are just a giant 
sphere covered in eyes for all intents and purposes. So this is not a creature that reproduces sexually. What a beholder does is kind of warp reality around it because of the fact that it is an aberration. It is a creature that does not belong in our world. And that gives it a kind of weird relationship with reality. That's part of the explanation of layer actions and such is that they're just kind of just warping reality around them in their home. So uh, where I'm going with this is that beholders don't give birth. A beholder has an occasional nightmare where they dream of another beholder that is different than it in some way coming after it, or it dreams of itself flawed or changed in some way. And these dreams <laughs> come true so that their mind warps reality to create the new beholder that it has this nightmare about. So new beholders are literally formed from the dreams of other beholders. It's fucking weird. But what is also very useful for the DM perspective is that in Volo's Guide, once again, the variant abilities are listed in detail and it goes through all 11, the 10 rays plus the anti-magicone with options of other equivalent powers that you could choose to give a beholder that is dreamed up different, that you can have all kinds of different powered beholders. And this list is fantastic for giving DMs the opportunity to throw a non-standard beholder at a group that they won't know what to expect. Because when you get used to beholders, you expect the death ray, the disintegration ray, and the various things that you know, ah, yes, this is what a beholder has. But if you take away some of those and give them some of these variant abilities, you change the game. And if you just have a surprise to the party when they are expecting something specific, that is, well, part of what is fun as a DM, for me at least, is just to get my party to have a reaction to a thing. They know how much I love beholders, so they have seen, okay, this is the norm. So the ability to just get a reaction from the party is just something that warms my cold heart. <sighs> Honestly, I could keep going. I can talk about more tweaks. I could talk about strategy. I could talk about implementation. I could talk about all kinds of other things, but this is already a massively long episode. So I'll simply wrap up by saying the holders are awesome. I love them. Use them more. Yay, beholders. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Tears start as low as a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Support us to get benefits such as behind the scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord, we'll be able to chat with the cast and even a shout out on the show. Find us on social media, on Twitter at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Riffwake Podcast. And now, send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffsandrules at gmail.com. Have a good one. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.